Grab your Bibles because we're going to use them. <laughs> right? One person agrees with that. Right? I mean, what do we have to talk about if we don't have the Bible, right? We don't have God's word. Amen. So um, get that out. And we're going to be actually in the book of John, um, the fourth chapter. So as I get started this morning, I have like this question that <laughs> I don't know if you feel like I do about life right now, but um, is time moving faster? I mean, it seems like it's just, it's just flying by. I, I, I'm asking myself the question, I mean, are there still 24 hours in a day or did like the government change something and not tell us? Because doesn't it feel like, I know you young people, you know, life's probably taking forever. But for us, when we get older, it just seems like time is, is just wisping by. Just, just, it's like, it feels like just yesterday we were together. Listening to that great evangelist, Jeremy Fraser last year, speak to us about being filled with the Spirit. How awesome was that? I mean, it's, like, it's almost like we haven't even had time to go out and live out what we learned before we're right back here learning again. But I hope that you lived in the power of the Spirit of God this week. I hope that you applied what you learned last week and that you saw, we, you saw in your own life the fruit of humility, the fruit coming from the being filled with the spirit of God in your life as you went out into your world. I don't know if you share the same sense of urgency and anticipation with me to redeem the time. The Bible says that we're supposed to redeem the time because the days are evil, but also because the days are short. I have this question in my head all the time, like, God, what are you, what is next? What are you bringing next to us? Does it make sense if I tell you that that question and waiting for the answer both scares me and excites me at the same time? Because here's what I know about God. I know that God directs our steps, and we're going to talk about that today. I know that God is involved in every aspect of our lives, but I also know that everything that God brings into our lives and allows to come into our lives isn't always happy, isn't always pleasant. There are some wonderful times, I mean, the just rocking times with the Lord where God walks into our world, walks into our lives and shakes things up in a good way and we're like, woo I love to be a Christian. It's awesome to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Isn't this life awesome? And then there are times when things come into our lives and it just drops the bottom out of our lives and we don't know how we're gonna survive. We don't know how we're gonna take the next breath. We don't know how we're gonna get to tomorrow. You've been there, right? But our God is in between the bookends of the super exciting and the super depressing. And so whenever you think about that, and you, we don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring. We don't know if we're gonna have tomorrow, but we don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring. And when things show up in our lives, that's what kind of scares me because I know enough, I have enough wisdom, I have enough street smarts about life to know that tomorrow could be exuberating and can be really, really hard. And so whenever I think about what is God bringing next, it scares me and excites me all at the same time. I wanna share something with you that um, is one of those darker times. Um, we really need to be praying for the Baldridge family. We brought them into membership um, last week, Chris and Lance and Maddie Baldridge. Maddie's 17 years old. Chris is, um, so they're new to our church family, but Chris is our new elementary school principal at Elkhart Christian Academy. And um, Lance um, tragically died yesterday. And that is just um, rocking their world. And 
Just um, all three of them are gonna get baptized in this service today. And so we just need to be praying for them. Um, knowing I was gonna preach what I'm gonna preach on today, I, we were sitting with them yesterday, sitting with Chris yesterday, and I was saying, sister, you're going, you're going through right now like the hardest thing you're probably ever gonna go through in your life. But I just need you to know that that doesn't mean that God is gone. That means that God is here now, more present with you now than ever before because God is the father of compassion and he is the God of all comfort and he comforts us in all of our times of weakness and in our times of sorrow. And the Bible says that he, he will bring peace that passes understanding into those situations. The Bible tells us that he has grace to help us in our time of need, and that grace that he provides is in proportion to the need. And so we were just praying for that family, that Baldridge family yesterday, that God would just pour out just an ocean full of grace onto the shores of their sorrow right now. And so um, I just want you to know that they're gonna need us more than ever. We're a brand new church to them. We're a new church family. But can I, can I share with you how awesome our God is? Maddie, 17 years old, and Maddie said to me, so I'm talking to Maddie about all that happened and how sad she is about her dad's, the loss of her dad, and she said, Phil, she said, um, for a couple of years, I haven't had anybody to walk beside. I haven't been in a youth group for the last couple of years, and she said, we're coming to the new church now, and I was scared to death of this youth group. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to be part of it because I didn't think I would be accepted. And she said, but the, the girls in the youth group have open-armed me and have welcomed me in and have loved on me and accepted me for who I am. And what did you guys call that last night, that you, or Friday night that you guys did? Girls' night out? Girls' overnight. Girls overnight. <laughs> did you spend the night in the woods? Oh, I just saw like 30 girls out in the woods, you know, Friday night and um, was driving by and I, <laughs> I thought, well, maybe you just slept there. Okay, if it was an overnight, but they were all just circled up doing something out in the woods and ministering to each other and Maddie was there. This is Friday night before her dad lost his life the next morning and, and this is what Maddie said to me. She said, Phil, um, I found some new friends Friday night, last night. She said, they, I felt more connected to the group than I have ever felt to any group. And they, have, they loved on me. And God, this is what a 17-year-old, God knew I was going to need that support for what I was gonna go through today. She said, even the devotional, and I don't even know which one of you, I'm looking over here because Amber was in charge of this thing. Sure. What's that? Okay, Tara Hartman. So Tara brought a devotional. She doesn't know what, you know, she's just bringing what God lays on her heart. But what God laid on her heart, this is what Maddie told me, was exactly what she needed in order to get through what she was gonna go through on Saturday morning. And God knew that ahead of time. That's how awesome our God is. So, can we just pray right now? Can we just do that right now? Um, Matt, can you come up here and pray for them? Um, let's just agree with, for the Lord to just provide in some special miraculous way for them. So Lord, collectively our hearts are heavy. Um, community of believers here at FBC and, and, our, and our school community is just rocked with um, the heaviness of this loss. But Lord, as heavy as that is, you knew and you, um, you provide, you care. Um, and so we're asking collectively that you provide a peace and a comfort uh, for the Baldridge family beyond our understanding. 
We know that you can handle such things. We've seen it happen time and time again. So we're asking, Lord, that you would do your work through your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, um, as a church body and as a school body, Lord, give us the words and the compassion and the love uh, as you love to support, to help carry this family through the roughest thing that they've ever had to go through. And Lord, um, and through your spirit and through your guidance, um, you would receive glory. You would receive praise by the work of your people. Lord, thank you for loving us, caring about every aspect of our lives, that we are um, never neglected. Uh, You've never forgotten about us and that you're there in every detail of our lives. And so, Lord, we, we lift this family to you on behalf of Chris and Maddie and Matthew. Lord, we're asking for your hand to be on them and carry them through. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So they're gonna need us more than ever. So I, if you know them or you would get to know them, just I ask that you reach out to them. They're gonna need us to walk beside them through this hard time. We don't know if we have tomorrow. We don't know if we have the rest of today. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We don't know what the future holds, as the old song says, but we know who holds the future, and that really helps us to understand that God is in control of all things. We're going to see that in this story that we're going to work on in John chapter 4. So let's go there, okay? Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 4. This is going to be the last in our extraordinary series, which is We've been seeing the something and the nothing, right? We've been seeing the ordinary uh, broken people in the scriptures, how God calls them and then equips them, does a work in them so that he can do magnificent things they had never dreamed of could happen in their lives, do extraordinary, miraculous things through their lives. So we're being able to see, hopefully you're being able to see that if God can take some of these broken people of old and do a mighty work in them and then do a mighty miraculous work through them that he can do the same thing with your life and has a plan to do the same thing with your life. Um, Today's a very familiar story. So if you've been in church at all, it's the story of the Samaritan woman or what we know her as the woman at the well. And what I'm gonna do is we're not gonna, it would take, it takes weeks to get through this whole story. There's so much. So I'm gonna like race us down in through the story, give us a snapshot of the story because I wanna lean into something very specific for us um, to minister to us today, okay? So it's a very familiar story about, the whole thing is about the single greatest thing that can happen in a person's life greater than the day of your birth, greater than the day you found Jesus. Um, Greater than the day you met your spouse. But remember how awesome that was? Greater than the day you brought the first child, your first child into the world, greater than the day that you brought your... um, first grandchild, you saw your first grandchild, whatever it is, whatever that greatest thing in your life that has brought you the most joy, whatever that greatest thing is, this one surpasses them all. And here's what it is. That single greatest thing is this, having your eyes open for the first time to who Jesus really is. Having your eyes open for the very first time to who Jesus is. Really, there's, a, there's an important word, who he really is. Because some of us might know about Jesus. Some of us might have been raised our whole lives, like me. I knew about Jesus my entire life. From the time I could first understand a human word, I heard the word Jesus because that was my family. And so I was raised up in it and I knew who Jesus and God were. I knew that he died on the cross. I knew that he rose from the dead. I knew and I believed, but I needed something special, something miraculous to happen that opened my eyes for the first time to who Jesus really is. And that's what we see depicted in this story today. So 
So here's the backstory, okay? The scriptures tell us that Jesus was with his disciples near or around Jerusalem in the land of Judea. So he was around the Jerusalem place and he wanted to go, he needed, the scripture says, to go to Galilee. So he says to his disciples, let's go, we're going to Galilee. Um, but what he did next was totally unorthodox. It was completely out of the ordinary. Actually, it was totally taboo for any Jew, but especially a religious Jew and a rabbi like Jesus to do what he did next. Look at John 4, 4. Look at the fourth verse in John chapter four. So he tells his disciples, we're gonna go to Galilee and the scripture tells us now he had to go through Samaria. Did he have to go through Samaria? Well, you might argue, yes, he did because Samaria is right in the middle between Judea and Galilee, okay? But the, the answer to, your, to that question actually is, no, he did not. There were other options for him, options that he and the disciples were very aware of. Let me show you on a map what we're talking about. So here's, here's Judea, this is where they were, somewhere down here, okay? Here's Bethlehem and Jerusalem, and so this is where they were, and they need to go up here to Galilee, which is where Jesus loved to be, especially in the Capernaum area up here. So he has to go from Judea to Samaria, uh, to Galilee, and they have to go right through Samaria. You see that? Here's Sychar. This is where the story takes place that we're going to talk about. But what Orthodox Jews, the, re the real religious people, the people who really knew what they were talking about, they would never walk from Judea to Galilee through Samaria for one particular reason, because they thought the Samaritans were defiled people. So what they would do is they would go around. They would either come over here, cross the Jordan River, come up this side, come back into Galilee, or they would go along the seashore through Caesarea and come across like this. They would never just walk straight through. And you might be like, well, why? Well, here's why. There's a lot of study in this. If you wanna study, it's a fascinating study. But what happened is, God's people were told not to intermarry with the Gentiles. But God, some of the Jews married some Gentiles and they became a nation of people, a group of people that were known as the Samaritans. But they were known in the, in the Jewish world as half-breeds. They were known as defiled people. They actually considered them dogs. They wouldn't even, they wouldn't drink from any utensil. They wouldn't eat from any utensil. They wouldn't touch a Samaritan because they would be defiled if they did. Now this is racism at its worst, okay? But this is what the world was in those days. And so the Jewish religious people especially, they would never just walk through Samaria because they might come in contact with, because they might come in contact with Samaritans, right? And that, that's a no-no, we can't do that. I will be defiled if I touch the undefiled thing or the defiled thing. So he's got three options, but according to the scriptures, Jesus had to go through Samaria. So the question you have to ask is why? Why is that in there? And why did he have to go? Some have argued that going through Samaria was the shortest route of, to Galilee. And there was some issues with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were raising questions about Jesus and John the Baptist. And so Jesus says, we gotta leave here and we need to go to Galilee. And so some have thought, well, he's just said to his disciples, guys, let's go. We gotta get out of here quick. There's trouble coming. And so the shortest distance to Galilee was through Samaria. That's why he went that way. I totally disagree. Because that would mean that Jesus is reactionary. That would mean that Jesus does things according to the circumstances around him. Now, I wanna declare something over everybody today, okay? Are you listening? So everybody hearing my voice, listen up, because this is a declaration of truth straight out of God's word. God is never reactionary. Jesus was God fully God, fully man, so he was God then and he's God now. He was God at the beginning of all time and he's still God today and so God is never reactionary. Don't ever put that on Jesus when you're trying to interpret the scripture and trying to figure out what's going on. Don't ever say, oh well, Jesus was just subject to the circumstances around him. No, Jesus is in charge of the circumstances around him. And you need to hear that loud and clear. 
He had to go through Samaria, don't miss this, because there was an ancient sovereign appointment with a woman at a well in Sychar that had been planned well before the foundations of the earth had ever been laid. That appointment was going to lead that woman to salvation, resulting in the salvation of an entire group of people in her village. So Jesus literally had to go through Samaria. He had to stop at a well in Sychar because that was the plan. It was the plan from before time began. That should bring you some hope that God knows what he's doing in your life and in your world. Hear me on this. God is not pacing around in heaven, wringing his hands, calling some kind of weird brainstorming, heavenly celestial brainstorming session with the angelic executive team because he's trying to figure out on the fly what's happening in the world down here. That's not what's going on in heaven. He is totally relaxed and he's totally confident in his sovereign plan for all that is happening in your world and in our world. And he's totally confident of the direction that your life is going. That should bring some help and hope to you. Even as you, like this Samaritan woman, take your next step to go get your next cup of cold water, God is in the middle of that plan and he's directing your steps all along the way because while Jesus was intentionally positioning himself for this encounter with this woman, God was directing the steps of an unsuspecting Samaritan woman who is desperately in need of a total life transformation. And she knows it. She knows that her life is messed up, but what she doesn't know that Jesus knew is that they were gonna come together in this moment and her life was gonna be changed forever. Max Lucado describes this woman and I'm gonna let him do it. He's a pastor and author and he does a great job. He's just, I love the way he puts things on paper and he, he, he describes this woman in this way. Her eyes squint against the noonday sun. Her shoulders stoop under the weight of the water jar. Her feet trudge, stirring dust on the path. She keeps her eyes down so she can dodge the stares of the others, for she is a Samaritan. She's known the sting of racism her whole life. She's a woman, so she's bumped her head on the ceiling of sexism. She's been married to five men, five. Five different marriages, five different beds, five different rejections. And she knows the sound of slamming doors. She knows what it means to love and receive no love in return. Her current mate won't even give give her his name. He only gives her a place to sleep. And on this particular day, she came to the well at noon. Why hadn't she gone in the early morning with all the other women of the village? Well, maybe it was all the other women she was avoiding. Maybe a walk in the hot sun was a small price to pay in order to escape their sharp tongues. Here she comes. Have you heard? She's got a new man. They say she'll sleep with anyone. Can't you just hear that person? They say she'll sleep with anyone. I want to say something that right now, but I shouldn't. Shh. There she is. So she came to the well at noon. She expected silence. She expected solitude. Instead, she found the one who knew her better than she knew herself. Scriptures tell us that Jesus, exhausted from his journey and thirsty, asked this woman for a drink as she came upon the well. And at that point, they entered into a a discussion about water, about wells, and about Jacob and about religion. They discuss the difference between the pure, cold spring water that comes from the 100-foot well that she had been coming daily to get water from and some kind of water that if you drink it, you will never thirst again. I could just hear her saying to herself, man, when was the last time a man had spoken to me with respect and true concern without ulterior motives? He told her about a spring of water that would quench the thirst of her soul and she wanted to know more. She was enjoying this conversation. She was entering into this conversation. 
But then Jesus does something that stops her in her tracks. He decides to go, I put in quotes, there in her life. Look at verse 16. So they're having this conversation, and this is what Jesus says. Now, do you, do you all understand that Jesus knows everything, right? If somebody asks you a question, it's polite to answer the question. So, like, Jesus knows everything, right? Okay, keep that in mind. So they're talking, they're having this great conversation, and Jesus says to her, verse 16, go and get your husband and come back. I could just imagine in her mind, she's like, oh, brother, is he really going there? Is he really asking me to go get my husband and come back? Did he have to bring that up? She doesn't know who he is. She doesn't know that he knows everything, but it's like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. Here was a Jew who didn't care that she was a Samaritan. That's unheard of. Here was a man who didn't look down on her for being a woman. That was unheard of. She was experiencing, maybe for the first time in her life, the closest thing to gentleness and genuine concern for her as a person, and he had to go and ask about that. He had to go and ask about her husband. Anyone here think that she probably, because we know the rest of the story. We know that she, she had five husbands, right? She didn't have the one that she's living with, isn't. But at the time, you know, in real time, anybody think that probably she was trying to figure out how to lie and get out of this? She doesn't know he's Jesus and knows everything. She's just like, well, I'm just not gonna, I'm just gonna pretend, I'm just gonna, uh, what does he know? She could have just said something like, you know, my husband works during the day, hello. You know, I don't know why you're not working. You're here at noon. You know, he works, he can't get off work to come see you. It'd have to be some other time. Knowing she'll never see him again, but she doesn't. And I think she doesn't because I think the Holy Spirit's starting to do a work in her and trying to move her heart and trying to change her and open her mind and her heart to spiritual things. And so she answers, I have no husband. But that's all she said. And Jesus said to her, this is verse 17, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So here's the first fact I want all of us to learn about this in this story and I want us to apply it to our lives. Here it is. Jesus knows you and he's not shocked. I thought I would get one amen out of that. Jesus knows you and he's not shocked. Jesus knows you and he's not offended by what he knows. If you notice, there's no criticism here. There's there's no angry lecture from Jesus on this woman like, look what mess you've made of your life. But in love, Jesus puts his finger right on the things in her life that she regrets the most. He, he identifies and asks her and uncovers the thing that is the worst part of her life. The thing that, the reason why she's at the well at noon. Because he does this because he loves her. In love, Jesus puts his finger on the things in her life that she regrets the most. Because he knows what she needs in order to be refreshed. He knows what needs to be redeemed in her life. He knows what needs to be restored in her life. And I wanna say to you, my friends, that he knows you and he knows those places he needs to ask and call out. He knows the place he needs to touch. He knows what in your life needs to be refreshed. He knows in your life what needs to be redeemed. And he's willing to go there. He knows you and he's not shocked by what he knows. That's really good news, you guys. He's not offended by what he sees inside of you. And he knows the darkest recesses of our souls. He knows the deepest, darkest, hidden things about us. He goes right into this woman of Samaria He goes right into 
her most shameful places, he opens up the closet and shines the light right into that spot. You know, Jesus knows exactly where to shine the light. You can't hide any cobwebs from him. Did you know that? Because he knows you. He knows everything about you. You can't like, and I know some of you do this, you can't like if Jesus is coming over and so you pick up the rug, right? And you take your little sweeper and you like, you know, sweep the dirt under the rug and lay it down. Don't ever do that when Jesus is coming over. Because you know, because Jesus loves you, you know what he'll do every time. He'll walk in, he'll take a look around, he'll walk over to the corner of the carpet and he'll pick it up and go, is there a reason why you swept that in just a little bit ago before I showed up? Why don't we talk about that right now? And you guys, that's not an unloving thing to do. Some of you might be like, I can't believe Jesus would do that. Who would walk into somebody's house and lift up the carpet to see if I swept under the, the stuff underneath there that I swept underneath there? Well, Jesus would because he loves you. Because Jesus loves you, when he walks into your house and he is God, so he knows what's going on and he can see the lump of dirt underneath the carpet, he's not gonna walk in and then just like, let's play this pretend game. And let's pretend that that lump is not in your carpet right there and we won't talk about that. Let's talk about everything else. It's not what a loving person does. It's not loving to do that. So Jesus is coming along because he knows and he loves you and he's not shocked by what he sees. He has no problem putting his finger right on the thing that you need refreshed, right on the thing that is a problem in your life, the number one thing that brings shame into your world and touch it and talk about it and let's handle it and let's apply a little living water to that and let's bring some refreshment to that part of your life. The amazing thing is that she wasn't offended. You notice that? So he goes there, just calls it out. You're right, you have five husbands, you've had five husbands, and the guy now you're living with is not your husband. <laughs> She's not offended by it. She's not angry, and she doesn't seem wounded. She's, she is taken back, but I want you to see that the Holy Spirit's beginning to open up her heart, because look at verse 19, her response. So Jesus says, you're right, You've had five husbands. The one you're living with is not your husband. You've said the right thing. And all she can say, verse 19, is, Sir, um, I can see that you're a prophet. Uh-huh. Because who else could say that? Who else would know that without being told other than a prophet? A prophet was a guy who received information from God that no one else knew and would deliver that to the people. And so she is beginning, I believe, she's beginning to make sense of spiritual things. Hear me now. Whenever you don't know the Lord and you haven't had an encounter with Jesus, the things of God, the things that are spiritual, the things that are eternal and heavenly make no sense to your brain. You're in darkness to those things. You can't figure them out. You have to have the Holy Spirit of God who comes alongside of you and enlightens your heart and enlightens your mind. And this is what Jesus is doing. So when Jesus comes and you have an encounter with Jesus, Jesus, what he does is he shines the light into your soul. He shines the light into your heart and begins to wake you up to the things of the spirit. And I think that's what's happening here. She's like, wait a minute. The woman said in verse 25, I know that Messiah called the Christ is coming and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. So somehow when she was raised up, she's been raised to know that there is a Messiah coming. And when he comes, he's going to tell people and explain everything to people. I think she's starting to say, hey, are you the, are you the guy that I've heard all about my whole life? Are you the Messiah? Because you just told me something. You just revealed something, explained some things to me. And then Jesus does something magnificent. He fully reveals himself to her. She's starting to wake up and Jesus knows it's time to step in and wake her up, shake her awake completely. And this is what he says. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. 
Can you see the glimmer in Jesus' eye? And she's like, I'm gonna just blow her mind right now. You know that Messiah you've heard about? Uh Uh-huh. It's me. I am him, and I just proved it to you. You're right, woman. Weird thing is, we don't know her name. We all know her as the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well. He never calls her out by name, but he does say, you're right. Woman at the well, I am he. I am the Messiah. And the cool thing about this, the crazy thing about this as you study this is that she is the first human to ever hear this news. Think about that for a second. Of all the people in all the world at that time that God could have chosen to deliver, personally deliver and receive the secret of the ages, he decides to choose to give it to a five-time divorced Samaritan woman, an outcast in the shade of a well somewhere outside of a city and a people who were despised by the Jews. Does that surprise anybody but me? Does that help you? (laughs) I had one sister after the service today in the first service come up and say, I want God to use me. And I have issues. And I said, don't we all? I said, listen, sister, what we learned, what did we learn today? God decided to choose a loser, a woman who was despised in her own town to reveal himself for the first time to humanity. That's pretty special. And God chooses to come to every one of us and reveal himself and have a personal encounter with all of us to open our hearts and open our eyes. How special is it to know that from the beginning of time, there was a plan to step into your life and reveal to you your need of a savior and open up your heart to your sin and, and expose it for what it is and send God just, he touches it with the Holy Spirit and say, let's talk about that right there. And then you humble yourself and confess your sin before the Lord and you receive his salvation and make him the Lord of your life. How special is it to know that he will take nobodies like us and he will come alongside of us just like he does this woman and he'll invest himself and reveal himself to us. How special is that? Her heart is now fully awake to who Jesus is. And what does she do next? Look at verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the well, ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Christ? She's like freaked out. I mean, she's like giddy about all this. You think she'd be, oh, he just pointed out. No, No, how does she respond? How does she respond? Jesus, she experiences Jesus. He reveals himself to her. And what does she do? I just got to tell you something awesome happened to me. Some guy over there at the well, he's like told me everything I know and everything I've ever done. And come on, come on. What are you sitting there with your arms folded for? Come on, let's go. I'm just kidding. I'm just just goofing around. (laughs) Yeah, like, okay, what are you going to do to me next? (laughs) This is how saved people respond. This is how saved people react. You know what's crazy? She just has no idea how to lead somebody to Jesus. She didn't have one Bible verse. She doesn't know anything. All she knows is... I was lost, but now I am found. I had a problem, and Jesus stepped into my problem, and he saved me from it, and I had an experience with him, and all I know is I want everybody else to know. You know what's crazy, you guys? She didn't go to the town next door where nobody knows her. She went straight back to her village where she is the shamed woman where everybody's talking to her. It's the reason why she goes to the well at noon, because she feels ashamed of everything. 
She goes right back in. She doesn't care. She goes right back into that village where people don't like her. People are critical of her. People despise her maybe. She feels shame around everyone and she doesn't care because she has no more shame. Jesus took it all away. She goes running in and she runs right in. I'm sorry, I'm getting really loud for that sleeping baby right there. But she comes, she comes running to the city and she walks into the city and she just wants everybody to know. Jesus changed me. I, you got to come see him. You got to come take care of it. He'll do the same for you, I'm sure. That's how saved people respond when they've been released. There's a lesson in that for us. Here's the practical application of it all. Even though Jesus knows everything about you, his love is not diminished with his knowledge of you. He reveals the truth to us in such a way that we don't feel condemned, we don't feel hopeless. We don't feel like we can't ever change or live up to the standard of his heavenly kingdom, even though he puts a giant standard of holiness on us. It's actually quite the opposite. He, he doesn't make us feel like we have to carry the weight of the condition of our souls and always have to flinch whenever all that stuff from the past is thrown up in our faces. He doesn't make us carry the feelings of deep regret for the things that we have done in the past. The Bible is clear that whenever we are saved and we have an encounter with Jesus and he touches that place and we confess that before him, that he takes it away from us. He doesn't make us carry it around. Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The spirit of life has set you free. And what you see in the Samaritan woman is a woman. There's no condemnation. Do you see any condemnation on her? Do you see any shame? Does she look like a woman who's all full of shame and guilt because God touched the hard place and talked about the hard place in her life? No, she's running around. She's running around like, I, I have a freedom I've never had and I want you to have it. Wow. There's a lesson in that for us. It's what a true believer looks like because you know sinners, they cover and hide but the redeemed are open and free. The, the proverb says that even a wicked man will flee when no one's even chasing him because that's what we do when we're, when we're guilty and we're sinners. We hide and we cover. I don't know how you've come to this place of worship today, but I just want to say that when Christ touches that place of shame when he touches those sins and he reveals those things to you and he puts his fingerprints in your life like he did with this woman all of your self-condemnation all of your self-judgment all of your self-loathing all of your wallowing and regret for your past evaporates into the mercy and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ or let me just put it this way it's supposed to it does on God's part, and it needs to, on our part, evaporate. We've been given a clean slate, a fresh start. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. And this is what we see in this woman as she runs into the town to tell everybody, come and see Jesus. In fact, whenever you have an encounter with Jesus like this, you not only want him to open every closet in your life and shine the light in every dark place, but you want that same thing. You long for that to happen with the people that you love. You want them to experience the same thing because you know how liberating it is and how free you feel. Listen, Jesus loves you completely even though he knows you completely. I mean, is there a better plan? Does anybody know a better plan than the plan with Jesus? 
Do you know a place where you can be known intimately and known completely and yet loved unconditionally outside the family of God, outside the plan of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you know any other place? Let me tell you, there is no other place. All other religious systems are full of shame. They're all full of guilt. They're all full of you trying to figure out how to live your life and how to pay back all the old debt that you have because of the sin that you carried around from your past. Not so with Jesus. Only in the law of the gospel, only in the scriptures do we find the truth that God will come and he will save you and remove all of your sins from you and clean you up and give everything new to you as you walk forward and then help you live a righteous life from that point on. We live in a world where love is diminished with knowledge. Everyone's actually looking to get a fresh start. Everyone wants to get a new set of people that don't know the knowledge of their past In fact, some people say, God is the God of second chances. I disagree. Some of you might be like, what do you mean you disagree? God is the God who loves me, scripture says, even while I am still sinning. Aren't you glad for that? God's a whole lot bigger and a whole lot greater than the God of second chances. God is the God who loves us and redeems us. And the scripture says he justifies us, which means it declares us righteous. It's as if we have never sinned. Not because we have figured out a way to clean ourselves up. And that's what makes it so glorious. Oh boy. You want to finish this? Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Only got through with the first point. Okay, um, let's, just, let's just run. Okay, let's run to the end here. Number two, the fact that we can learn from this story is that there is food to eat that truly satisfies. There is food to eat that truly satisfies. We're going to see it through Jesus' words. So the disciples come back. Jesus, they get to the well. Jesus is, is thirsty. He's hungry and he's tired. Actually, the scripture says he's exhausted from their travel. So he stays at the well, sends his disciples into town to get some food, and they're supposed to come back with the food. They do. They go to get town, they get the food, they come back. While they're coming back, they notice that Jesus is talking to a woman. That's shocking to them. But as they get closer, the woman is sprinting back in the story. She's running back to town while they're coming up. They look at him and they probably see that he's exhausted and he probably looks pale. And so they say to him, Rabbi, eat something, verse 31. But verse 32, he said to them, okay, now let me just remind you, he's exhausted from his travel, right? He's thirsty. And to, to our knowledge, the woman at the well never gave him a drink. The very first thing that started the conversation was, can you give me a drink? And she never gave him a drink, at least that we can tell. So he's still thirsty and he's hungry, but this is his response when they say eat something. He says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And the disciples say to each other, could someone have brought him food? They think he's like he's got a stash in his pocket of some food somewhere and he ate, okay? And this is so typical of them and it's so typical of us because the disciples are always focused on the temporal, they're always focused on the physical and the here and now and what is visible. But what the lesson here is this, that Jesus is always thinking about the spiritual and the eternal, that which is not seen. And the lesson is verse 34 where he says to them, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish that work. And what Jesus is saying here is, guys, guys, listen. What feeds me is not what you just brought me. Now that's food and that's sustenance and I need to eat that, but that's not what feeds me. That's not what truly satisfies me. What satisfies me and what feeds me is to do the will of my Father in heaven, which is I've been doing the whole time. You guys were in town getting food. I have been sitting here with the woman, opening her eyes to the truth of the, of the spiritual needs that she has in her life, and she has, I have revealed myself to her, and now she is going and doing the will of our Father to go get somebody else and bring them back. Hmm. 
That's what feeds me, he says. Man, are we so not like Jesus? Because we live for satisfaction, don't we? Am I the only one who lives for satisfaction? I mean, we feed ourselves from every, every place that we can find to find satisfaction. We can start with food or the wrong kinds of food. We can start with, you name it, there's all kinds of things out there that we try to find satisfaction in. Like the disciples said, eat something, Lord. And he's like, guys, you don't understand. I find my satisfaction in something completely different. There is an empty space in our souls that needs to be filled and we can't put our finger on what it is. And like the Samaritan woman, she spent her whole life trying to fill that need inside of her, looking for it in the physical, resulting in an emptiness that is never filled, and a hole that's never filled and an emptiness that's never satisfied. Today, Jesus is stepping out of the pages of the Bible and wants to say to every one of us, I am the water that will quench your thirst. I am the one who will bring you satisfaction. I am the one that will bring you salvation. No amount of success or accomplishments, no amount of associations or degrees hanging in your office of your home No photo albums of wonderful memories, as good as those are, will ever fill the part of you that God created for him to fill with himself. In fact, this personal relationship that we're talking about and that he is offering to this woman is the reason that he came and took on flesh. It's the reason that he suffered and he died and he rose again. And I just wanna to say to some of you that are sitting here, some of you need to come and drink from his well of life. You need to come and eat at his table of salvation. You need to do it today. Some of you sitting here, maybe you're at home, you know in your heart that you don't know the Lord. And you've been on this journey to find him. Today's the day of salvation for you. He's calling out to you. He's, he's putting his finger through this message on that place that you know you need to repent of. You know that you are desperately in need of him today. And the invitation to you, the, the invitation of this story, and my heart's invitation to you is come to Jesus today. Repent of your sins, receive him, and you will experience the freedom that this woman experienced and that all of us, many of us here have experienced. For the rest of us, <laughs> you're not gonna like me very much right now, okay? When I say this to you, we need to get after it. We need to get off the sideline and we need to get after it let me ask you a question. How many of you want to be like Jesus? Yeah. Of course. Those are one of those questions you ask you, you know everybody's going to raise their hand. Who's going to be, who's going to sit in church and go, nope, I don't want to be like Jesus. So you all want to be like Jesus, okay? Well, hang on. Here's Jesus. If you really want to be like Jesus, then here it is. My food, he said, what satisfies me, what feeds me, is to do the will of my Father who sent me and to accomplish his work. So what's his work? Verse 35, don't you have a saying, he said? It's still four months until harvest. And they're like, yeah. And he goes, well, I tell you, open your eyes and look to the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Some actually believe, some commentators actually believe that at this moment, Jesus is sitting there and the fields are out there growing, okay? All the crops are out there growing. And Jesus is sitting there and he goes, you know, and he points to the fields, you know that 
they say four months from now and you're gonna be ready to harvest this crop, right? And they're like, yeah. And he goes, well, I tell you, look. And some believe that maybe the woman is coming out of the city with a whole host of people from the city behind her. And Jesus points and says, yeah, well, that's this harvest. Look over here. I'm telling you, they're ripe for harvest right now, guys. Go get them. Forget the food. Forget the physical. Go do the will of your father. That's what truly satisfies. Come on, let's go take them on. I'll show you how to do it. I'll empower you to do it. The Holy Spirit will help you do it. Let's go get them. They're ripe, ready for harvest. You see why he had to go to Samaria? Because nothing satisfied him more than doing the will of his father and bringing the truth and the strength and the transformation to lives who are lost. Things are changing like crazy in our culture and the culture of our world right now. And the need is rising more than ever. The people need to be refreshed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe that things are changing in the culture and atmosphere of the church of Jesus Christ on a global scale. I believe it's happening right here. I believe that you are developing um, an end times mindset. I sense that from you. I can see it in you. Actually, some of you are new to our church, and I believe that God's doing a shakeup here at First Baptist. I think, I think what I'm experiencing is that God's bringing you here, and together we're going to partner for the gospel like never before, and I think you have eyes to see the lost And we're growing in that. I think God is giving us favor with those who need the healing touch of the Holy Spirit of God right now. You're going out and bringing people to Christ. I can see the hunger in your your eyes as you come to church. I, but the sense that I get, and I was talking to Jeremy and all those who have spoken from this pulpit, especially that aren't of us and they don't know you very well, this is what they say to me. Man, your people, they like come to church and they're hungry, they're ready, they wanna learn. And that's what I sense from you. I sense that you come to church and you got your Bible in hand and you're like, feed us, Phil. Equip us. Tell us what we need to know. Tell us what we need to change so we can go out there and influence our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what this church church is all about. That's why we gather. I think we're waking up to the fact that the fields are ripe and need to be harvested and that we're running out of time. But some of you are standing on the sides of the field, the edge of the field, looking in. And this story is a call to you. (laughs) In the words of my father-in-law, to get up off your blessed assurance and get moving for the Lord Jesus Christ. I think God's calling you out to step into the center of the field of harvest, pick up a sickle, and start reaping souls for Jesus Christ. Actually, he's just, he's calling all constantly out to all of us. Lift up your eyes. The fields are ready. And just, just go start reaping souls because the time is short. Actually, Jesus knows that our souls will only be satisfied like his if we do the will of our father who called us and is sending us out to do his work. It's out there, my friends, it's not in here. We have work to do in here and loving on each other, but the work we do in here is so that we can go out there to do the work. It's time to get involved. It's time to jump into the work. Don't say in four months, because we may not have four months. You don't know. None None of us know if we have tomorrow. We have today, we have right now. Now is the time. The fields are ripe, says Jesus. That is the food that satisfies, doing the work of the one who sent us. Stand with me. And let me just say this as we close. This story shows us a lot of things, but it shows us the length Jesus will go to find us and to reach us where we are and then remove all the trash from our lives. This story shows us that he can use us in spite of our past 
Because if he can take a rejected woman and make her into evangelist, he could do the same thing with you and me. And that's what he wants to do. That's the message here. Father, I pray that you'll strengthen us with this truth and that we will submit to your will for us, what you've called us to, that you'll give us boldness for those of us who are fearful, that you'll give strength to those of us who are weak, that you'll give wisdom to those of us who are lacking it, that you will strengthen our hearts and our resolve to go out of these walls and go like this Samaritan woman who didn't have a clue what she had really experienced, out with the message, you just gotta come see Jesus who changed my life. Help us with that, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as always, our prayer team will be down here. If you need salvation, we'd love to show you. If you need help in any way, we'd love to pray over that with you. God bless you. Share some love with each other on your way out, okay?